Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Dr. Carol Pelletier-Radford with us, supporting educators to find their strengths and use them to contribute to the educational community has been an important part of Carol's journey. As a public school teacher for more than 20 years, she began leading from the classroom. She consistently sought out opportunities to facilitate the sharing of ideas and bringing people together. When she completed her doctorate, higher education and bridging the gap between the student-teacher experience and the first years in the classroom became a new interest, leaving the classroom to pursue leadership roles as directors of both traditional and alternative teacher preparation programs, she found herself immersed in the needs of novice teachers. Mentoring has always been a passion, but now she saw it as a critical element to the retention of novices, especially in hard-to-staff schools. She believed a common language could help mentors tackle the most challenging issues with their novices and that together they could improve the culture of the school. An opportunity to write second editions of her two books allowed her to put new ideas into practice with her current interest in mindfulness. Her goal was to provide a roadmap to guide mentoring conversations. Her two books, Mentoring in Action, Guiding, Sharing, and Reflecting with Novice Teachers, and The First Year's Matter, Becoming an Effective Teacher, both by Corwin Press are companion books that also support districts in aligning mentoring to educator evaluation standards. Carol is a certified yoga teacher and is currently teaching an online course called 2020 Vision, supporting the next generation of educators. This course is designed for leaders in schools who are called to serve through induction and mentoring. The focus of the course is to integrate mindfulness into daily lives, learning compassionate leadership strategies, and taking action to actually move our individual 2020 visions forward so we can ultimately inspire our students. These like-minded individuals become members of the Mentoring in Action Leadership Academy. Her website, mentoringinaction.com, offers free videos and resources, as well as books and online courses. Carol's mantra is balance, inspire, lead. Transform from the heart. Welcome, Dr. Carol Radford. How are you? Hi, Lily. I'm doing really well today. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Well, thank you for being here. We are so happy to have you. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am ready. Awesome. So Carol, can you tell us a bit about your path 
to leadership and what you're doing now? So my story is interesting because I actually started my leadership journey in the classroom. I'm a former fifth grade teacher. I taught fifth grade for 21 years. And during that time, I was leading from the classroom by collaborating and bringing teachers together in the school. And what I discovered at that point is that I really wanted to work with novice teachers and student teachers. And I was drawn to working with the local university and creating what we called bridging the gap from a student teacher coming from the college, student teaching, and then becoming a teacher at our school. So my passion started to emerge with focusing on how the cooperating teachers at our school interacted with the student teachers. So the next step for me drew me into higher education and wanting to get my doctorate and really shift from being a classroom teacher to that higher education person that could support novice teachers and cooperating teachers and mentors and really engaging this next generation of teachers. I was fortunate enough to have a Krista McCullough Fellowship and in our state we had a scholarship called Lucretia Crocker and those funded me to be able to write a book and think about concrete actions that could actually help our beginning teachers be assimilated into the profession, but also have courage and hope to speak up and change things that maybe weren't working. So I've worked in higher education for 21 years as well. So I have this balanced journey, a bird's eye view of being in the classroom and then also being in higher education which has led me to my own business called Mentoring in Action. And I'm currently providing resources for mentors and novice teachers on my own website, mentoringinaction.com. And I'm teaching a course right now online called 2020 Vision for aspiring leaders who want to really focus on this topic of mentoring and induction. So that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. And it certainly speaks to me because I supervise student teachers for quite a while. You know, I know the process. So what was it that led you to this area? Like you said that you were drawn to this. Typically, it's some kind of tension. that It is a tension. Oh, you're very good. So here's the tension that showed up that led me to focusing on that. In our school, we had many student teachers from a local university, and what I noticed and heard in the teacher's room were student teachers talking about their experiences with their cooperating teachers. And what they were saying as I was like this little fly on the wall was, oh, if you have so-and-so as a cooperating teacher, you don't have to do anything. She leaves the room every time you teach. And then someone else would say, well, oh, well, I have so-and-so and she's amazing and she stays in the room and she coaches me and she helps me. And then you'd have another person, something in between. My teacher doesn't even know what she's supposed to be doing. And she talked to the college supervisor and the supervisor said, oh, just let her follow you around. It's okay. It's just her student teaching. So the tension for me was there was no common language. And I had a student teacher as well. And what happened is I wrote everything down 
that I was doing with my student teacher. And it was a book. It became this book called Supporting Cooperating Teachers. It was the common language called Bridging the Gap. I typed it out and I showed it to the university professor and the supervisor. And she said, oh, wow, this is great. But there was some tension because the university wasn't providing any professional development for the cooperating teachers. So mm. the tension was, oh, you're doing my job. Mm-hmm. And there was a little tension there because mm-hmm. the university, we thought, should be providing us with what to do. But you know what, Lily? Mm-hmm. I liked it better that it came from the teachers because we knew what kind of coaching these student teachers needed. And that became my first book, published by Pearson. And that began the journey into listening to novice teachers that has evolved and developed over the next two decades. But that's where it came from. So funny. I think of a book, Tension into Action. Yes, (laughs) it's true. I love that. So if our listeners wanted to get a copy of your book, is that still in print? And can they do that? You know, that original one is not in print because I did take the copyright back, but I wrote another one for the student teacher. Mm. And that is still in print and it's on my website. It's called Strategies for Successful Student Teaching. Mm. And it is available from Pearson Education and many colleges and universities use it. And I am thinking about bringing back the cooperating teacher book in some form and either putting it up on my website or collaborating with any publisher or university who wants to do that. So if one of your listeners wants to collaborate, I'm ready to bring back that initial book. I love that idea because it is so needed. Now, are you affiliated with a university? The university that I'm currently working with is Gordon College in Massachusetts. And with Mentoring in Action, the courses that we offer now are for graduate credit through that university. But it's not matriculated credit into a master's degree. These are professional development credits that any teacher in any state who wants to, you know, have their lane change. And many schools offer that in the contract. So that's why I felt strongly about offering grad credit. Mm -hmm. I did work with Boston College and the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth during my decades of being a director there. But that's matriculated credit. So I'm just doing professional development credit at this point. Thank you so much for all that wonderful information. I know it's very needed. So how would you describe your leadership style? Well, I'm the oldest in my family. So I want to say that I'm collaborative, but my birthplace and also the way in which I interact would say that I'm kind of directive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So as a mentor guru or interested in mentoring, I'm laughing because I guess I would say I'm collaboratively directive. (laughs) That is new. I've never heard that before. You're so creative. Well, because I like to work on a team. And I'm not afraid to be accountable. And that's, I think, where the directive part comes from is putting out a vision. But I'm really willing to collaborate. I love to collaborate. I love to hear people's ideas. I love to bring people together that are very different and, in fact, could cause a little tension or diversity in the discussion. I just find that's 
exciting and valuable and it's more creative collaboratively directive. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we've connected a couple of times and I do get how you invite people into conversations and you're curious about people. So I'm really excited about that because, you know, that's needed in the field of education and especially where you work in mentoring leaders. And so Carol, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I thought about this quite a bit. And I have three quotes that have really framed my journey from the beginning of my work. And it's so interesting for me to think about these. The first quote, I'm going to be paraphrasing it, was from the Carnegie Report in 1983. And that report was written by Jean Mayeroff and Ernest Boyer. And I know it can still be accessed online. It was called School and College Partnerships in Education. And it was this sentence that had really inspired me to work with teachers in the schools. And this sentence was, what will do the most to improve our schools is to provide support for those who are already on the job. Wow. And in the 80s, when I read that, and that seems like such a long time ago, it helped me to focus on that cooperating teacher, to focus on the teachers in the schools that were already hired, because the energy in ed reform at that point in time was let's just hire the best and the brightest let's test or not test or it was all initiatives that didn't relate to the people that we'd already hired right and it forced me to look at professional development in a new and exciting and curious way and that quote was a touchstone for me every time i strayed away i would say nope Let's look at what we have, all the teachers that we have right now. That's where the work needs to be. That was my first one, and that took me for decades. Can I speak into yes. this a little bit? Because yeah. it's very important. What I've observed is that sometimes we hire leaders and maybe they don't have the strengths that we thought they had. And so the tendency is to look for someone else. When I say leaders, I'm talking about teachers as well. The tendency is to either be critical or be judgmental and then to look for someone else or look for someone else who has that strength as opposed to support and develop and promote. This really hits it on the mark. Because we need to look at our way of being with these people that we hire or work with. And if we see a place where they need to grow, a challenge that they have, instead of dismissing that and moving on to the next person or getting someone else on board, perhaps if they have an interest, we can develop that. This really speaks to me because I've experienced that recently in developing leadership where one leader wasn't as strong as another, but my focus was on developing and helping that person to develop because they did have a growth mindset and that's key. Yes, I love what you just said. I think this quote applies today. It's timeless. It is for any collaborative culture. And we tend to just throw things away. (laughs) We want to recycle and get the people that agree with us. And that's why I wanted to say, I like working on teams where everybody doesn't agree. And some leaders don't see it that way. They try to build a team where everybody agrees. Then there's not so much curiosity. So Mm -hmm. the second quote 
led me through my doctoral work and through the next decades. And this is paraphrased again. The author is Roland Barth, B-A-R-T-H, and he wrote a book, Improving Schools from Within, Teachers, Parents, and Principals Can Make the Difference. He also wrote the book, Learning by Heart, and he has many articles in educational leadership about school culture. He was in charge of the Principal Center at Harvard University, which is no longer an organization because he has stepped down, which is a sorry thing. Mm -hmm. But he had a sentence that I dog-eared his whole book, and this stood out to me. It was on finding our vision. We don't need to look outside to find our vision. Each one of us has a vision. That vision is within us. And when I met Roland Barth, and I had the honor of being one of his teaching fellows right prior to my doctoral work at Harvard, I was teaching fifth grade. (laughs) This was my transition. And commuting to Cambridge and studying two or three days a week, and teaching, co-teaching. And he helped me to find the vision within myself. Like, well, what did I think? I had written a book already for cooperating teachers. Like, what else did I think? He inspired me to not look at what I was learning at Harvard in all these courses as the answer, but to look inside and use those interactions with my colleagues as context for having my own vision emerge, which is what I'm trying to do in the 2020 vision course, is to pay that back, what he helped me do. I want to help aspiring leaders do. What do you think about that one, Lily? Oh, I love it because it ignites something in us, and it adds value to people. I imagine that Dr. Barth And I did read his book, Learning by Heart. Oh, good. I imagine that he ignited that in you, like a spark. You are this hub or this center for creativity within yourself. And we don't think that way typically. Right. And so we need people outside of us to help us. I appreciate that. I'm smiling here as you're talking. Oh, that's great. (laughs) And here is my last quote that continues to inspire me. It's really more of a poem. It's from Lao Tzu. Mm -hmm. And it's the Tao of Leadership, and that's spelled T-A-O, and it's edited by John Hyder. And this book came to me, oh, wow, I've had this in my possession for 30 years, but I go back to it. It's a book of readings, really. Mm -hmm. And this one really relates and hit me because it related to your forgiveness podcast, which I did listen to and I highly recommend to your listeners. Here's the phrasing that I've chosen from this passage. Do you want to be a positive influence in the world? Then first, get your own life in order. Your behavior influences others through a ripple effect. A ripple effect works because everyone influences everyone else. Remember that your influence begins with you and ripples outward. So be sure that your influence is both potent and wholesome. How do I know this? All growth spreads outward from a fertile and potent nucleus. You are a nucleus. And that is on my website with the ripple effect and just the words, remember that your influence begins with you and ripples outward. Because I do believe that what we do and say impacts everyone, and especially mentors and novice teachers, influence the kids. So those are my three. 
So Carol, I mean, all three of those quotes hit home for me, but the last one really frames everything I do. And there's such a connection between what you do and what I do. It's clear how we do affect other people's lives. And that's the premise of my work too, that we have to learn to lead ourselves well before we step into leadership, before we take that responsibility, because it is a responsibility to serve other people well. So I love that. Thank you so much, first of all, for doing the research, right? Because I know that you are one of the guests that I've given these questions to, and you have teased this out. You have gone through it with such passion. And I really want to say how much I appreciate that because what you give to our listeners is so important. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for the opportunity, Lily. It really had me reflecting on my own journey as I transitioned to other things in my life. Awesome. So Carol, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I am inspired by leaders who give me hope. I want hope. I don't want to hear how awful everything is. Uh And I like charismatic leaders who can engage me, who have values, and leaders who want to include me in the community and see my strengths. So those are the kinds of leaders I'm drawn to. And Roland Barth was one, Andy Hargreaves, John Maxwell, I never met, but through his writing, I love Buckminster Fuller. Have you ever read anything by Buckminster Fuller? No, I haven't. Well, check it out. And Susan Moore Johnson and Ellen Moyer is a leader in California for mentoring programs. And you, Lily, you're a leader. So I'm inspired by people who are willing to put themselves out there and pull and engage others. Thank you so much for that. So tell me, what's the best advice you've ever received? Here it is. Ready? Mm -hmm. The best advice is stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say listen, but listen is what everybody says. So this is where this happened, and it wasn't said directly to me. But when I entered my doctoral program, the seminar that we took, we were in a cohort of, say, 15 people. Mm -hmm. And the leader said this. There are 15 of us, and the norm for the discussion is everyone speaks once before anyone speaks twice. Wow. Mm -hmm. You don't realize how hard that is, especially for someone like me who's exuberant and excited and has a lot to share. So in a discussion with a group, people started looking out for each other. And you'd look around and before you would speak again, you'd look to see had everyone spoken that wanted to. And it puts pressure on the people who don't speak. Yes, but they (laughs) could pass, but they could pass. But then they spoke Mm -hmm. because it wasn't one person dominating. So what happens a lot in leadership circles is that two or three people who are not afraid to speak, speak all the time. And then the quieter leaders listen who are already good listeners and never get to share because there's no opening for them and i use that in my face-to-face classes and it's amazing how powerful it is and how people work out and if so and so is raising their hand again because they're excited and exuberant like me Mm -hmm. everyone looks and say has everybody spoken 
like people start to take care of the group. <laughs> what do you think? I love it. I can think of a group that I can use that yes, in. Yes, yes. And it's awesome. The yeah. magic that comes from when the people who never talk speak mm-hmm. is amazing. I recommend any listener who's in a group to try it out as a new norm. I love it. Thank you so much. I wrote that one down because I'm certainly going to use that. It's, I think, clever. It invites other people to lead. So yes. you're not the only one directing. Everybody else yeah. is a part of this. So I love yes. that, especially in a group of leaders. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Carol, I imagine you've been a part of many teams. What does it mean to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? I mentioned this before, a good team for me has a variety of types on it. And I know there are many strengths finders and little tests, you know, the ENTJ and all of our personality things. But I truly value the different strengths that people bring. For example, I have this small company now, Mentoring in Action, and my technology leader is a 30-year-old, and she's very quiet and very technical, and she sees things a certain way. I'm very talkative and overextended. And You're extended uh, just right. Just right. <laughs> and then I have a data coordinator bookkeeper who hardly ever talks and does the web design. And then two other people that are advisors and many mentors. So the core team that I have, we're all different. Hmm. And I think that's the strength of a team is to be able to identify the skill sets and match them to the need or the goal or the mission of whatever the vision is. Mm. So I like to build my team by personal invitation. I don't mind putting out a volunteer. I'm looking for so-and-so anonymously, but I rarely do that. I like the phone or the voice more than the email. So if I'm inviting someone to be on my team, I call them and I tell them what the strengths are that I see in them and why I think they could help with this mission. Mm -hmm. And I love doing that. I love seeing that. And I think members of my team, like my bookkeeper loves being on the team because she said she used to hate teachers (laughs) (laughs) and think that teachers were so incompetent. And by being part of this team, she sees the passion that we bring. Mm-hmm. She's not a teacher. She brings another dimension. So that's how I do it. I love that yeah. you prefer to invite them in person. The voice. Um, the yes. voice, right? I like that. It's a tone but, that you can't get in an email. And so how important, and this is a big one for me, but how important is trust for a team? And what advice would you give us in yeah. building trust? So the thing about trust, and I'm reading all of my teacher's papers, I teach online, and it keeps coming up with mentors and mentees over and over again. So what I'm learning from reading their papers, their reflections, is they're all saying trust is the key. So for me, it's about keeping your word. Trust is about confidential conversations. It's about knowing that someone has your back that the leader will be accountable and not say, well, Joanne, you did that wrong. You're the web designer. That doesn't build trust. It's what I said, like collaboratively directive, meaning accountable. Hmm. I'm accountable. If there's a mistake and somebody makes it on my team, I'm not afraid to say, you know what? 
I wasn't watching that or I need to pay more attention. And it's not blaming somebody else. And I feel that that builds trust when they know the leader isn't afraid to take responsibility and also to be confidential. If somebody says something to me, I don't repeat it. Or I'll ask, is this okay for me to bring to a meeting or is this just between the two of us? Yeah, that certainly does build trust. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Master Leadership at Schools podcast program will help prepare your students for any future they encounter. Teachers and students learn effective leadership and podcasting skills to create a platform that's an incubator for leadership, innovation, collaboration, and creativity. See this in action at masterleadership.org forward slash MLS and find out how to bring this to your organization. That's masterleadership.org forward slash MLS. Now, Carol, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? The biggest challenge that I have had, Lily, is a personal one that relates to my professional life because they all are intertwined. When I applied for my doctoral program that year, I was teaching part-time and my father was diagnosed with lung cancer and my marriage was in shaky terms. Mm -hmm. And during that year, I left the classroom I had been teaching 21 years, and I accepted a position at a college to be the director of student teaching. So within 12 months, I had to finish my dissertation. My father was dying, Mm. and I got divorced. So it was death, divorce, and dissertation. And I remember literally one day falling to my knees and praying because I did not think I could finish the dissertation. My father had just passed. I remember it was April 6th. My dissertation was due. Mm -hmm. June 4th was graduation. I had like a month and I was sobbing and I prayed. I didn't know what to do. I was a single mom. I had two kids. I was commuting And I just said, oh my, I can't do it. I can't finish. This is too much for me. And somewhere, I don't know where from, my father's spirit Mm -hmm. came through and it was like, you will finish this. I want you to finish it. And I dedicated my dissertation to my father, Mm. which made him proud. He had only gone to eighth grade and I'm the first person in my family to go to college. I'm the oldest and get a doctorate. And I finished it. And what I learned from this is that I could do anything. And I am strong. And I am persistent. Certainly. I don't know how I did it. But I had a lot of help from the angels. And I did not waver other than that day. And I finished and I graduated. And I'm proud of what I did. And I learned a lot. But I have to tell you, that was the biggest challenge. And I saw the crossroads I could have made a decision to not do it. And everyone in the world would have said, Carol, no problem. Look Mm -hmm. at what you were going through. But that is not what I was supposed to do. I really want to thank you so much for sharing that because it makes a difference when we can share from our hearts some of the challenges. And this for sure, I wrote down strong because it takes a lot of strength. It takes also humility because to me, when you got on your knees, that says something about who you are and that 
you just don't rely on you to have that and to get up and persevere and finish that dissertation with everything that was happening at the time. I really applaud you. Thank you, Lily. So Carol, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? This is the first thing that came to my mind as my greatest success. And I noticed that you didn't say achievement. You said success. So the question brought me to a different memory. I feel my greatest success is my first video that I produced. Mm. And this video came from a conversation that I had with a teacher in an urban high school that I was working with mentors. And this teacher had a student in his classroom that had struggled and had an F in math. And she went to an A. And I go, Jim, how did you get that student to go from an F to an A? And he started telling me about what he was doing. And I'm like, oh my God, people need to hear this because these kids in urban schools can be these throwaway kids and they just, they're in gangs. It's just hard to teach them. And he was a novice teacher and then he also became a mentor for me. So what I did is I got a videographer And I said, would the student tell me what her perspective is about what you did in the class that changed her from an F to an A? And we videotaped her. And this video is called Teachers Make a Difference. It's on my website. I recommend it highly if you want to be inspired by what teachers can do. Mm -hmm. And she told the story of what her teacher did to inspire her to get an A in his math class. And I Mm. won't tell you all of it, but I will tell you that the filmmaker, this young kid, a friend of a friend that did this for free, now works for Gordon Levitt in Hollywood, my first (laughs) filmmaker. You launched his career. (laughs) Yeah, he's like this big time videographer now. (laughs) Wow. And that video, when you see it, launched me into a whole series of videos that are on the website for free, funded by a federal grant of student voices, what students say teachers should be doing. And I love it. It's like my most passionate insight into teaching through their eyes. That's extremely valuable. So if our listeners wanted to get on your website, can you tell us your web address again? Yes, it's mentoringinaction.com. And under resources, you will see a video library and they can search Teachers Make a Difference, and they can also search Student Voices, and the videos will come up. And they're amazing and fun and can be used at teachers' meetings. And wow, they are powerful what the students say. So that's my greatest success. A slew of them, and I would say that's very successful. You started with one. How many have you produced already? Uh, Over 70. They're not all students, they're mentors, and these were all funded by federal grants. And it started because I wasn't willing when I left my full-time job at the university and retired from that (laughs) to let these videos just disappear. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up starting my business, Lily, is I created the website and that's how this all started. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no. These are too valuable. So I house them so that these videos can still be accessible to people. Carol, thank you so much for your generosity. And I know that was hard work. So make sure, listeners, to get on that website and download those videos and use them. Powerful stuff. All right, Carol, what would you tell a new leader 
who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I would say find a mentor, Hmm. find a partner. The person doesn't have to be in the school. Culture issues are rampant everywhere. So this is not an uncommon problem. But together with another person, you create that energy. Find a positive person, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not a session where you just compare your complaints and your hurts and my school's worse than yours and we don't have this and we don't have money and find someone inspiring Mm -hmm. that can bring that spark back. Mm -hmm. And I do believe the voice in these podcasts are so helpful, but that human interaction, we have to get back to it. I believe in it and that can make a difference. And I can tell that you believe in it, considering you've come out of retirement. You're another (laughs) epic fail at retirement, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To create this wonderful service, uh, mentoring and action. So thank you. Now, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I am supposed to be learning how to play golf. Okay. Uh, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm so good at it. I am learning to be creative and to let things emerge through art. I'm doing more art. What kind of art? I'm doing abstract pastel with affirmations, and I'm using them in my courses. Some of the art is available actually under my mindfulness work on the website attached to my meditation. So I'm learning meditation and Qigong. What is that? Qigong is energy movement where you move with your body. And I recently had some health issues. And the only relief I got was going to acupuncture, of which I've never been to acupuncture before, but I'd gone through all the Western medicine and drugs and everything these last three months. And she recommended Qigong as a movement. And I've been doing it every day. So I'm learning ways to balance my body, mind, and spirit. And I'm also learning more about technology. I'm curious and learning how to be more and do less. But whatever I'm doing, have that be authentic. Thank you so much for that. And I think that's really important that we not forget to take care of ourselves, that we not forget to take care of our bodies. This tends to be something that because we're so busy, if you're in the field of education, you know what I'm talking about. You're so busy with making sure that you take care of everybody else that quite often we forget to take care of ourselves. Yes. And that's integrated into the courses that I'm teaching, mindful teaching, refining your practice to inspire student learning is my newest one and it's all about self-care and Mm -hmm. it's just what you said if we can't take care of ourselves and ground ourselves in wholesome leadership then what do we have to offer so that self-care and wellness we're modeling that for people so we need to know how to do that so that the mentors that we engage in the leaders and the ripple effect comes from a positive place and that's why I'm continuing to learn how to do that perfect now if there were something you could change in education <laughs> to do right yes what would that be? oh my gosh it's about the debate it's like i feel like we talk about the wrong things so what i would change is have the education reform leaders or the leaders and the unions or whoever is organizing the debate about schools focus back more on democracy and values and John Dewey and 
away from the testing and more debate about strengths of our students and participatory ways to show success in school. So many of our kids have these gifts and we have so much with the testing that those gifts never come out. We never see the gifts. And we tend to shut them down. Because we're yes. measuring the baby all the time, but never feeding the baby. It's oh, like I we're love measuring that. by testing mm -hmm. and we're starving the baby because we're not offering opportunities for the arts and all of that has had a dramatic impact on the way kids are in schools. I believe that. I just think we need to talk more about the whole child. So well said. Now, Carol, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well? Well, all of Roland Barthes' books I recommend. I've read those, and they're timeless. I've watched Kelly McGonigal, because mindfulness and stress in schools and everything is so important. And I use this video in my courses. I don't know the exact title, but it's about stress and our relationship with stress. It's very important to understand that we're not going to get rid of our stress. And Kelly talks about it's our attitude towards stress that can be the problem, not the stress itself. So if we don't believe stress can kill us, then we're okay. <laughs> we just want to balance and minimize. But I think most recently, the book that had kind of an interesting influence on me is called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Have you read that, Lily? No, I haven't. So she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and she's written a lot of different other kinds of books. I read that one. Yes, I did too. And some people loved it. Some people hated it. But this one is nonfiction. And what I loved about it is she inspired me to look at how we get ideas. And it's a book on creativity. It's out of most leaders' wheelhouse because we tend to want to read Roland Barth or Maxwell or something in leadership. But what it did for me is it helped me to design my 2020 vision course mm -hmm. without it being about education. One of the key ideas in the book is watching how ideas just come back to haunt us. And when they keep coming back, that there might be something intuitive there that we as leaders need to look at. And for me, it was developing this course for leaders because it just kept coming back. It would not let me go. I just couldn't figure out how to do it. It came out of me reading Big Magic. One of the things that I see is that you are a risk taker because this kept coming back. Some people, the ideas keep coming back and they do nothing with it. But right. the fact that you move forward right. and created this, you know, I have to honor you for that. So, Carol, yes. you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? As I mentioned, I have a couple of health issues the last three months, which slowed me down a little bit. And prior to this, I would have said daily I get up and I make a list and I might take a walk or something like that. But with the health issue, not life-threatening, but nagging, chronic, I have changed my behavior the last three months. And what I'm doing is I'm meditating every morning and I'm using a wonderful app mm -hmm. called Insight Timer. It's free. And a friend shared it with me at a workshop. And I start my morning very differently in more of gratitude for my health being better because when I had this nagging pain, that's all I could think of. Right. And you would wake up saying, oh, I don't feel good. Yes. And recently, 
it has relieved through my work with acupuncture and qigong and diet and all kinds of things but my daily routine is meditate with the insight timer which gives you options of a minute 10 minutes 20 whatever and then i do qigong 15 minutes and then i write affirmations and my affirmations the one that I'm working now and I write it 10 times is I am happy, healthy, and healed. An affirmation is something that you write to instill in your body, mind, and spirit over 21 days where you can change a habit or mindset, actually feeding yourself positive affirmations every day. Mm -hmm. My first affirmation was I give up my need to be perfect. Mm. And when I finished that in 21 days, that affirmation, I felt my shoulders drop. I've carried that around for a long time, being perfect. So I have a new routine and it's working for me. And I share it in all my courses, self-care, mindfulness with the teachers. They are doing Insight Timer. I have another course called Mindful Leadership. Mm -hmm. And the whole course really is helping leaders practice these healthy ways of setting up their day so that then when the stress comes, it's going to come. There can be a balance in the way that the reaction is controlled in a very different way. Mm. And I come from gratitude. I just feel so grateful to be healthy and to have this wonderful life of meeting people like you and just everything that I've been able to do through my whole career has just been a blessing for me. Carol, thank you. I love that you do affirmations and I've learned about affirmations, but I'm very logical. I need to know why I do this, right? So mm -hmm. affirmations is self-talk because our subconscious mind brings up a lot of our past and we make these agreements. And so affirmations can adjust that, can get rid yes. of the negativity. Yes. And so that's why it's so powerful. And I love that you brought that up because we can have a negative view of things. And sometimes we see so many negative things, especially you know, when we're working with some kids that could break our hearts and we need to strengthen ourselves. And this is the part of the self-care that's important. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm certainly going to download that insight timer and practice that some more. I'm going to look into your exercise. What is that called again? Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G. And there are some great YouTube videos. The one that I've been using for myself is Jeffrey Chang. It's great. 15 minutes. It just moves your energy. And you know what it's all about, Lily? It's intention. Hmm. It's what's our intention. If our intention is just to have these... We get up in the morning and say, oh, what's going to happen to me today? Then <laughs> <Right>. guess what? <laughs> That's, That's what right. happens. I'm the victim but, of the day. <laughs> exactly. Right. And if the intention is, wow, I'm going to shore myself up and pull myself and feed myself with positivism because my day is about service and giving back. And I want to be the best at that that I can be. That's it. I mean, yeah. then the rest you get to be, you know? I love that. Now, Carol, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would say to laugh more. I'm serious. I'm laughing a little, you know, with you. Mm -hmm. But it is serious what we do. 
but laughter and there's yoga laughter and there's some dopamine that comes out of us when we actually laugh and see the humor in things, even in the most challenging of situations. I wish I had laughed more and used my sense of humor. I had it here and there. I can be funny. (laughs) Yes. But I took a lot of things seriously and I took things personally. I was strong, so I got through them, but it would have been a lot easier for me to not Mm -hmm. carry that perfection around so much. I think it would have broken it open a little earlier. So Mm -hmm. laughing at myself, maybe. (laughs) I love that advice because I think sometimes we're so intense and we need to to laugh at ourselves. It's really healthy to do that. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? You know, I did pull something out that I thought I might like to share, and I'm going to share it at my retreat that I do with my teacher leaders. It's a passage from Lao Tzu, and I've carried this piece of paper around with me probably for seven years, and I had it in my notebook, and I'm like, I think this is the perfect way to end this podcast. And we're going to feature it here first. Yes. So this is a passage called Always We Hope. Always we hope someone else has the answer. Some other place will be better. Some other time it will all turn out. This is it. No one else has the answer. No other place will be better. And it has already turned out. At the center of your being, you have the answer. You know who you are. And you know what you want. There is no need to run outside for better seeing, nor to peer from a window. Rather, abide at the center of your being. For the more you leave it, the less you learn. Search your heart and see. The way to do is to be by Lao Tzu. Carol, that's a perfect way to end. I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Thank you, Lily. It was an honor and a privilege and pleasure to interact and engage with you and all your listeners and share the opportunities that my life has given me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, Lily. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.